can turn your Bibles to the uh, book of Micah. The title this morning is the book of Micah. We want to look at another minor prophet. We have five more to go. We have Amos, Hosea, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So uh, hopefully this is not boring, but that we can look what God spoke through the prophets to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. They, we see a lot of the similarities. They're saying the prophets are saying the same things uh, at different times. God called different prophets for different times, and uh, largely the message is on judgment on sin and a call to repent, and often, always, they have a glimmer of hope in them, and likewise with Micah here as well. Micah has some, f- some familiar verses that we talk about a lot, and just want to look at that at the forefront here. But we have the prophecy of Jesus in Micah, born in Bethlehem. We quote that that's at Christmas time. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, thou, though thou be little among thousands of, of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that which is ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So the prophecy of Jesus. Uh, talked about, we quoted a lot. We have the classic verses that here are found in chapter 6, and this could be a title here, but he hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Verses that we quote a lot during ahead of revival meetings, and we want to look at these verses, uh, we will look at them in their context. Of, the, uh, when of, of how they were given. And then we have one of the most precious promises in the Bible, and that is in the latter part of the chapter, uh, chapter 7, at the end there, it says, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again, he will have compassion on us, he will subdue our iniquities, and thou, and, and thou will cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. It's a song of praise that's ended with here, and it's a, it's a, it's a song that's based on, the, on these uh, verses here. Who is a pardoning God like thee, or who hath grace so rich and free? So there's a lot of songs, songs that are based on these, uh, just a... a a song of praise of God's forgiveness, compassion, faithfulness, steadfast love. So we have these, these uh, familiar verses in Micah. We want to look at them. You know, Micah's quoted five times in the New Testament. Jesus quoted Micah. Uh, but Micah's name means, who is like God? Who is comparable to God? The, his name reflects the incomparable nature of God. Now, just for our introduction, we get a lot of introduction right out of the first verse. And you can look in Micah 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morishite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So here we see he tells us that he was a Morishite or from Morasheth. And that would be like uh, 25 miles southeast of Jerusalem in the country. He was a country boy, would have been near the Philistine territory. 
And it mentions here kings that ruled when he was prophesying. That would have been Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. It gives us his time frame. It would have been like these kings span maybe 40 years of time. So it's a, a broad area of time here. And it tells us that uh, this would have been prior to the Assyrian captivity, when the Assyria came in and captured the northern kingdom. This was prior to that, just, just prior to that, not long before that. So he was contemporary with Isaiah. He preached the same time as Isaiah did. A lot of their messages are this, very similar. He would have preached the same time that Amos preached and Hosea. So, they, uh, so they, God had his prophets there, but Micah was called to, he was from the southern kingdom, but it tells us here in the first verse that he preached in the northern kingdom in Samaria and in Jerusalem. So he was uh, from the southern kingdom preaching to both. He's sent by God, and largely he has a message of warning. It was definitely for the day of Micah. They had the things that we're going to look at was in their day. But it's so prevalent for today because you could think, you could think Micah was writing about our day and age. Uh, the, some of the things just don't change. The, so back in that day, uh, Israel and Judah were both in decline. There was all kinds of injustices. There was lawlessness. There was bad leaders. There was... Uh, uh, and Micah calls the, out a lot of this injustice. Uh, maybe he was, maybe because he was from the poorer class in the country, maybe he was, uh, saw the weak and the poor being taken advantage of. But he, he, uh, he, he, he called out a lot of this injustice. Now the book of Micah largely has three sermons in it. And if you look at it, if you break it down, there's a sermon in chapters 1 and 2. And all of these sermons start with here. You know, the, the chapter 1 there, hear ye, O my people. And chapter 3 is, here I pray you. And talking to the leaders there. And in chapter 6 and 7, uh, he's, he says, it's another uh, message, and it's, hear ye now what the Lord says. So in chapter 1, and each of these ends with a, a messianic promise, or a, a, a promise, and so chapter 1, he's largely exposing sin, chapter 1 and 2. And chapter 3, in the second message there, he's largely zeroing in on the leadership. He really calls out the leaders. And in chapter 6, we have a court scene, and Israel's on trial. God is bringing a case against the, the children of Israel, and, uh, and, and, and we, we're going to look at that. But each of these messages ends with a promise. So it's a little hard to follow the, uh, the, the theme here in the book because so we're going to think, do a little different this morning I'm, going, I'm not going to do verse by verse uh, expo expositing but I'm going to look at the, the, the uh, three points and that is the first one is Israel is accused we're going to look at how of all those sermons what God is calling out through Micah the sins he's exposing the sins and then secondly, we're going to look at Israel on trial. God's going to bring Israel into the courtroom, and he's going to talk to them. And then lastly, we're going to look at Israel's hope. There's hope in each of these sermons, but we're going to save that for the end. So that's sort of the, the route we're going, to, we're going to go. Now, Israel is accused. Now, first of all, let's look at, we looked at verse 1. We're going to be in chapter 1, verse 2. First, we're going to see God coming here. It says, Hear, all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that is therein, 
And let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high map places of the earth. And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as the wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. So here God, the people are summoned by God uh, to hear the message of judgment. God, it says he's coming down from his holy temple and he's going to leave a footprint that everybody's going to know that he's here. It's God. God's bringing it through Micah. And in verse 5, we see the first, uh, the first thing he calls out is their idolatry. And this is very common in all the prophets, a common theme. It says in verse 5, for the transgression of Jacob is, is, in all, is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria as a heap of the field, and as a planting of a vineyard. I will pour out the stones thereof in the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten into pieces, and all, all the hairs thereof shall be burned with the fire, and all the idols thereof I will lay desolate, she, for she gathered it of the hair of a harlot, and they returned to the hair of a harlot. So God is calling out the idolatry. In verse, uh, in verse 5 there, the high places refer to the false worship. The idolatry, it was religious worship without a relationship with God. In chapter 6, if we would look back further, we'll see it talks about the carved images. But judgment is predicted on Samaria because of their idolatry. It, it says there it will become a heap of ruins, and Jerusalem also... And judgment did come. You know, it wasn't the, too long after that they were, the Assyrians came in and they were taken captive. But they were called out for their idolatry. And if we look at the prophets, it's, it, was, it came up over and over again. It's because they left the true worship of God and there was a downward spiral because of this leaving the true worship of God. And there's many things that followed and there was a lot of injustices, a lot of different injustices that followed. But ultimately, the, the root problem was their idolatry. Second thing we see is their greed and their covetousness and their stealing. In chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, it says, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields, and they take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. So there we see there, there was greed, there was covetousness and stealing. Uh, they, it says there in verse 1 that they lay in bed thinking about what evil they're going to do the next day. You know, instead of laying in bed camping, can't to sleep, you know, they, instead of praying, they're just devising what evil plans they're going to do the next day. And then they wake up and they go and do it. That's what it says. Greed. In verse 2, there was greed. They're plotting to take land from others. Plotting to take land for others. You know, it reminds us of Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab wanted that vineyard. And Jezebel, by deceit, 
and by uh, uh, force took it. And that's what it's talking about here. I believe there was a, uh, it wasn't just the, this Ahab that did it, but it, this was going on. It was greed. It was, it, it's not only greed, but stealing. Deliberate stealing out of greed. Why would they do that? Because they were able to. It says in verse 1, because it is in thy power of thy hand. They had the power to do it, and they did it. And uh, so we see greed and covetousness. And I believe that's sins that are alive today. I believe there's a lack of contentment in our day. And there's a, a greed and covetousness. And maybe not to the degree, degree that we see here. But it is a, I believe God is, through Micah, calling that out of today. You know, uh, New Testament says that uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, how is covetousness idolatry? It's competing against God. It's com competition with him. It's, com it's competing with our contentment in God, and, and it's called idolatry, covetousness. So they were laying in bed trying to devise plans, the evil plans, and God says in verse 3, I have plans for you too. You know, for those that, of you that sinned, and it says there that in verses 3 and 5 in chapter 2, that uh, because they have taken advantage of others, judgment is coming and it's going to be taken away from you. You know, the exact same thing that we saw in, uh, in Obadiah. Judgment is coming. It will be taken away from you. So we see greed and covetousness and stealing. We see violence is mentioned multiple times, and I don't think we'll talk a lot about that. We see dishonesty in business in chapter 6. Uh, turn back a couple pages. Let's just uh, look at that. In ch chapter 6 and verse 10 and 11, it says, Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is abominable? How shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and the bag of deceitful weights? Here they had dishonesty in business. They had, uh, the Bible talks a lot about divers' weights. It says deceitful weights here. With the old balancing scales, you would have a weight like a one pound on the one side, your merchandise on the other side. Well, these sharp businessmen would have a two different weights in their bag, and they'd put a 16-ounce weight on when they buy, and when they sell, they have a 15-ounce weight on. And it was deceit. It was a, uh, they're talking about the scant measure. Uh, Deuteronomy, uh, God talked about that in Deuteronomy, and he's law, thou shalt not have in thy bag divers' weights, a great and small. Proverbs talks about the divers' weights and divers' measures. They're both an abomination to God. So, and I think of the proverb that says, it is not, it is not, saith the buyer, but when he goes his way, then he boasteth. You know, God is concerned about the honesty, honesty in business. Israel was called out here for dishonesty. Uh, in chapter 7, Micah laments that there's not one honest man in Israel. All kinds of injustices, dishonesty, covetousness, and greed. And it ruled the land. And, and Micah was bothered by all of these injustices. Now, uh, next we want to look at the corrupt leaders. And in chapter 3 is the second, is the second message there that he, he calls out. Largely, he's calling out the leaders. And he says uh, here... <clears throat> And I, said, and I said, here I pray you, a heads of Jacob and you princes of the house of Israel, is it, not, <coughs> is it not for you to know the judgment? 
who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones. So he's calling out the leaders here. And I don't think we'll take the time to read all the, um, the verses, but one to three, he calls out the corruption of the leaders, the heads of Jacob. And verses three to five in chapter three here, he calls out the prophets. And in verses nine to 11, he calls out the priests. So here we see the whole leadership was corrupt. Can you imagine? Verse two says, they hate the good and love the evil. Exactly opposite of what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to love the, the good and hate the evil. Well, they were, do, they were doing exactly opposite. They were supposed to, as leaders, be fair and just, but they were not. They hated justice. And so we see the, corrupt, the corruption of leaders. We see uh, deception in verse 5. They were dece- de- de- there, were, there was deception there. Uh, bribery, there was mentioned in verse 9, verse 11, and back in chapter 7, bribery was a problem. They hated justice. So there was a large, basic, general dishonesty. You see, when there was bad kings, bad things followed. When there was good things, good things followed. Like in the Old Testament, or in Kings, if it says a certain king, and he did that which was evil in the sight of God. And then it was like Josiah, good king, and he did that which was right in the sight of God. See, in, it, leaders are influence. Leaders are influence. And uh, leaders are called to a higher standard. God singles them out here in chapter 3, a whole chapter, and, uh, and, and calls them out for what they were doing. You know, James says that I'm talking about leaders called to a higher standard. James says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. There is a higher standard called for leaders. And you can say this morning, I'm glad I'm not a leader. But if you're a father this morning, if you're a husband, you're a leader. God is speaking to the leaders. <clears throat> Another thing we see is they, were, they liked their false prophets. And we can see this in chapter 2, uh, verses 6 to 11. They liked them. They didn't want to hear from the true prophets like Amos or like uh, Micah here, like Isaiah. They didn't want to hear from them. They wanted to, actually, they told them to be quiet in verse 6. Prophesy ye not. They, said, they, they wanted to hear from the prophets that said good things, that said nice things, that said pleasant things, that said everything's great. But God was here, he was rebuking them with truth through Micah, but they would rather hear a lie. In verse 11, we see that they would rather hear a lie. They they didn't want the truth. They didn't want the truth. And they even had the audacity to say, in the middle of all this that was going on, what we're looking at here, they had the audacity to say in chapter uh, 3, verse 11, it says... uh, Chapter 3, verse 11, the heads thereof judged for reward, the priests thereof teach for her, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet, they, yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. They had the audacity to say, isn't the Lord among us? You know, they were, they, they were in Jerusalem. They had the temple, and they said no judgment came yet. And they had the appearance of evil, but there was no real relationship there. They, there was all kinds of injustice, uh, deception by these false prophets. And, and God is calling them out. God is accusing them here. 
You know, there's all kinds of, there was the idolatry. Idolatry is the way they insulted God. And the, all the injustices is how they injured each other. And Micah doesn't call out a lot of the immorality, a lot of the other prophets do, and that's how they indulge themselves. And it's all sin in God's sight. And he's calling them out. And he comes out with one question, and that is in chapter 6. He says, what have I done for you to act, what have I done for you to act like this? What have I done for you to act like this? Now we're getting into the courtroom scene. He laid out all the accusations and now he's bringing him into the courtroom and he says, what have I done for you to act like this? State your case against me because I have complained against you. Israel here is on trial. Israel's on trial. Chapter 6 gives us a courtroom scene. A courtroom scene. God is the prosecutor, and Israel's the de defendant, and it seems like the mountains and the hills are the jury, or the judge, which I'm not sure how, if it's a jury, whatever. It's a, it's a trial. Israel is called into the courtroom, and then God's saying, let's talk about this. And let's read chapter 6, the first uh, eight verses. It says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith, Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy. controversy. It sounds like Isaiah, right? Let's reason together. God's saying, Hear ye the Lord's controversy, that ye may, and, and ye strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with his people. O my people, what have I done unto thee, and wherewith have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of, thy, of, of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beer, Beer answered him from Shittim and unto Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what is and what the Lord doth require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So here we are in the courtroom. God has, Israel is, on the, is the defendant, and uh, laws have been broken. Laws are broken. The mountains and the hills are the jury. And interesting that mountains and hills could uh, hear this case here, but now the mountains and the hills have been around pretty long, right? They would have saw the Mount Carmel experience. They would have saw everything. They would have been there. From the foundations of the world, it says, they would have recognized what God's talking about. They would have known that if this case has merits, and then he starts off with this question. What have I done for you to act like this? God wants to know how he wearied his people so much. 
And in verse 2, it says he has a controversy and he pleads with Israel. He doesn't just have a little gripe here. This, this is a courtroom. Laws have been broken. And, the, uh, and, and, God, and God is saying, testify against me. He says, I want you to answer me. I want you to answer me. And notice in verse 3, he still calls them my people. My people. After all that he exposed, all this sin, and he still calls them my people. And then he says in verse 4, Now I will state my case against you. God is judging his people, and he's holding them accountable for the sins, all the injustices, all the, the idolatry, all the immorality. He's justifying his judgment. He says, I have a right to judge you. And God is just, and God is merciful. And verse 4, it says, Remember coming out of Egypt. Remember. Remember what I did for you. Remember the crossing of the Red Sea. And then he goes on, you know, was it not I? Was it not I? And he goes on and says, don't you remember Balaam? He tried to, he tried to curse you for Balak, and I put blessing. Uh, I blessed you instead. Every time he opened his mouth to curse you, I, I blessed you. Remember? Do you remember that? Don't you remember all that I did to teach you about my faithfulness? Do you remember? God is reminding a little tiny bit of their history. Do you remember? How does that weary you? How does that, how, how does that make you tired of me? Why, what have you got against me? Why are you turning away from me? Why did you forsake me like this? Have I treated you badly? God as the prosecutor is asking this question. Why are you behaving like this? And he says, I want you to answer. Answer me. Now the people were on trial here in the courtroom, and they're required to answer this question. What are they going to say? What are they going to say? What do they have to say? Did they know what God wanted? Did they know God's word? Did they know God's law? I believe the prophets preached over and over again. We know that. They preached, you know, the, all the different prophets were preaching at different times. So the people, they, they knew. They knew. They were warned. They can say they, they, did, they, they can't say that they didn't know. But in verse 6, here's what they say. How shall we come to the Lord? <clears throat> Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before thee with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. You know, they said here, uh, how should they come to the Lord? And when we think of all that he has done for us, what should we do? And that's a good question to ponder for us. What, all that he has done for us, you know, what should we do? What should we do? And we'll get to that. It's a good question to ponder. But they said, shall we bring an offering of tithes? Does God want our offerings, tithes, the blood of a thousand rams, rivers of oil? Will that please God? Shall we give our firstborn? Will that please God? And the answer is no. No. God says, the Lord's reply is in verse 8, I have already told you. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord doth require thee, but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before thy God. 
this is what this is what is required of you. That's what God wants. This is what God wants. This is what he didn't find in Israel. This wasn't there. And this was the it was the opposite. And what God was accusing them of is the, all the injustices, all the the lacks of mer- the lack of mercy, and they were proud. They were proud. Micah couldn't find one honest man in Israel. It says in chapter 7, verse 2, the good man is perished out of the earth and there's none upright among men. So, uh, so this is the, probably the, the memory verse. If we had a Sunday school lesson, this would be the memory verse. What does God, he hath showed you, O man, what is good, what the Lord doth require thee, but to do justly. What does it mean to do justly? What does it mean? It's doing right, to be upright. The Bible uses the word upright. Righteous, to do what's right in every situation. Having no partiality. Not taking advantage of people. Not mistreating people. God wants us to be fair and just to other people. And to love mercy. You know, it doesn't say just to be merciful. That would be one thing. But he wants us to love it. It says love mercy. Not just like it, but to love it. Do you love mercy? Do I love mercy? Why do we love us? What, is it, what, is it, what does it look like to love mercy? Well, I believe it's forgive, being quick to forgive. You know, saying, you know, it's okay when someone does us wrong. Don't worry about it. You know, not holding that other person uh, and reminding them of all the wrongs they did. You know, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, you want, to, you want mercy? Show mercy. You want to receive mercy? Be merciful like God is. So do justly. This is the opposite of what they were doing. They weren't merciful and they weren't uh, just. And here, and the last one is walking humbly with God. Walking humbly. Being humble about your life. Being humble about what you have done. What you have accomplished. Because it's all from the hand of God. God is the one, is the giver of all good things. You know, the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Being humble is having a proper attitude about ourselves. It's, it's a proper attitude of who we are, who we really are. And it's also a proper attitude of who God is. A proper attitude of, uh, about him and who he is. So that's, we need to walk humbly before God. You know, God honors a broken and a contrite spirit, but he opposes the proud and the arrogant. You know, it's against his nature. It, he opposes it because it's against, it's not, it's, it's against his nature. I believe if the children of Israel would have walked humbly with their God, they probably wouldn't have been called on the carpet like this. They probably wouldn't have went into t- captivity if they would have followed this small, uh, uh, concise instructions here. So, you know, it's like God saying, are you truly grateful for all you did? For all I did for you, then give me your life. God's saying, I don't want your money. I don't want your tithes or your sacrifice. I want your life. I want you. I want you to serve me. Give me your life. And then we will give our tithes. We will be, you know, but God wants us. God wants 
our, us to serve him. He wants us to uh, walk with him. In Psalms 51, it says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So here, in a nutshell, is what God wants. This is what God wants from us. He wants justice. He wants mercy. And he wants humility. And that's exactly what was not there. You know, this short, concise statement, it just reminds me of like in the New Testament when Jesus said, it's like loving God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not that hard. It's not that difficult. It's not that complex. And it's down to a, a small uh, three phrases. And it's what they weren't doing. God uses, you know, all these chapters to expose this. And he comes out, this is what I want. A concise, very small, uh, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. So now, let's just think about it. What's the verdict? And maybe you can, I, I, I didn't really see a verdict coming out. You're guilty here. But the mountains being the jury, um, you know, do they... they they probably don't uh, speak. So, but you know, the mountains and the hills, they know what God wanted all along. They wanted, they knew that there was the, just a simple doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with their God. But so the verdict isn't really spoken as I see it here, but it's, it's, it, it is pretty obvious they were guilty. They were guilty. They had the option to repent. They were, had the option to repent. Right there it was, do justly. Love mercy. That's what God wanted. That's what God told them to do. But they didn't change. They didn't do this. That means they didn't repent. They wouldn't listen. And the only answer was, uh, oh, there I had it. Do justly, love mercy, and, and walk humbly with the God. But the only answer was judgment. Because they didn't repent. They didn't do that. And God, uh, here's two two uh, verses. One's talking about the judgment that'll come to Samaria and one that's called, talking about the judgment that'll come later to uh, Jerusalem. And it says it'll be plowed as a field and a heap of a field. So it's talking about the utter destruction that for Samaria it, did, it came very shortly after and for Jerusalem it was quite a bit later. But in chapter 1 we have a verse that says their wound was incurable. And I believe one of the other uh, prophets talked about there's no remedy. There was no remedy. They had crossed a line. God has a line, and they crossed a line. And judgment came. Judgment came. And it was, it was utter dis destruction. They went into captivity. But you know, it doesn't stop there. Praise the Lord. You know, it was immediate bad news for them. Immediate bad news. But then he comes out with good news. Good news. There's hope. There's hope. And the first thing that we see is the hope of restoration. And I pulled these two verses out here. Uh, there's two places in Micah 2. It says, I will assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Boaz, as the flock in their midst of the fold. And they shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. The breaker has come upon them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate. And are gone out by it, and the king shall pass before them, and the Lord on the, on the head of them. This is talking about the restoration. 
after the exile, after the exile, when they returned to Jerusalem, when they turned to uh, to their homeland after the captivity. So there was hope there. That was the uh, the maybe the more immediate hope, the nearer hope. So he gave them hope, and there's a. There's another verses here in Micah 4. talks about, I will assemble. It's talking about the return, the, when they returned. But he also then gives more distant hope. Uh, after, but says here in Micah 4, after the, uh, the, the, but in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow into it. So now we're going into the last days. This is another, this is farther distant hope. Uh, this talks about the millennium. You know, in chapter three, actually we should just look, if you have in your Bibles, I didn't have it up here, but chapter four, it's talking, this is where the verse goes into the millennium, but right the verse before in chapter three, the, the last verse, it says of the utter destruction of Zion, therefore shall Zion be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem become as heaps. So there is the other destruction and going right into the hope. And this is talking about the millennium, the last days, the last days, future hope. When the Lord, when the Lord reigns in Zion. Now, verse 2, chapter 4, we're in chapter 4, and this is talking about the millennium. And it says in verse 2, it says, And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go to the mountains of the Lord. And to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion, for the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So here we see the, uh, go, let us go to the mountains, and I believe mountains can refer to governments. So it's saying, you know, let's go to the government of God. This is talking about Christ when he sets up his, his kingdom, his earthly kingdom, the millennial kingdom. And in verse 3, he says he's going to judge many people. He's going to be uh, a ruler. He's going to be the ultimate ruler. He'll rebuke strong nations from afar off. And uh, so this is talking about the king in Zion settling all its disputes. And then we have this amazing verse, this second half here. It says, this is when the Lord sets up his kingdom. It says, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now, there is a, a statue of this verse. And this is, uh, uh, I believe, at the United Nations building, a statue of beating the plow, a sword into a plowshare. And this is from Micah 4, this, uh, this verse, 4.3, second half of the verse. And here, actually, actually, this is the verse uh, inscribed on the wall at the United Nations. Up uh, the uh, there, it's the, the there shall be. It's a little hard to read, but the beating their swords into the plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. There they have this verse inscribed on the wall. So I don't know if it's their mission statement. And I respect United, United Nations and what they're about and what they're trying to do. But is United Nations going to bring about what this verse is talking about? Is it going to bring the peace that, that this verse is talking about, whether it be no more war? You know, uh, this is talking about, this verse I believe is talking about God's government with Christ on the throne. And this is going to be the millennial kingdom. And uh, 
you know, they're, they're, the, the first half of this verse is not quoted. You know, it's, it's the first half of the ver- verse is, uh, I don't have it up here. On the, on, but the first half of the ver- verse talks about when the Lord reigns in Zion. Then it says, then they'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pr- the pruning hooks. You see, the, uh, and this is talking about uh, when the Lord reigns in Zion. So I believe in this millennial kingdom is, you know, when the, right now our military budgets are astronomical, but here there'll be zero. There'll be no more war. And Isaiah talks about this and Micah talks about this, but I don't think it's, it's, uh, it can't happen till the, till the king comes. And we're in chapter four. And then in chapter five, actually is for the very next chapter is when it talks about the king coming. Jesus, the prophecy of Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. It says, But thou of Bethlehem, afraid of thou, uh, thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So here we have Jesus coming as a baby. This is his first coming. This is his talking about his first coming. And you know, it, it, it says here, this is the same verse, it highlighted the end, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. This baby is not going to be a normal baby. This is an eternal baby. This is Jesus. This is in Micah 5. So this was prophesied 700 years of his first coming. It was fulfilled by the Roman taxation that they caused Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem for their taxes. So this is uh, Jesus coming the first time, but his second coming... His second coming, chapter 4 is talking about the millennial kingdom when he comes a second time. When he comes a second time, which didn't happen yet. When Jesus is going to come and he's going to take care of things and set up his kingdom on the earth. You know, the, uh, the rapture is not his second coming. The rapture is another event when we will meet him in the air, in the clouds, and we'll go up to be with him. But Jesus is coming again, and uh, Zechariah talks about him coming and stepping foot on, Mount, on uh, the Mount of Olives, just as he went, where he left from. He's coming back again, and we'll come back with him. So his millennial kingdom is not set up yet, and that's when these uh, swords will be uh, into plowshares, and we will know no of war no more but that's good news for everybody good news for everybody we could spend a lot of time on uh, the contrasts and I think we'll just skip over this but there's a lot of contrast in chapter 4 it's good stuff here that we can look at you know they're comparing the idolatrous way to what it's going to be like uh, verse 5 there in chapter 4 it says for all people will walk everyone in the name of his God and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever the beautiful uh, picture of what is to come the, uh, the true worship what it'll look like so I want to get to uh, the last one yet here and that is the beautiful promise that we have in chapter 7 chapter 7 is the beautiful promise of uh, who is a God like thee This ends with one of the most precious promises in the Bible, a wonderful confession of faith. It's a song of praise to God, extolling his mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion, his faithfulness, and his steadfast love. You know, a lot of the prophets always had their their, uh, talking about who God is. 
and here, Micah has it at the end here. He starts out with, who is a God like you? And, you know, when you think about Micah's name means who is like God. It's a play on his, on his name. The, who is comparable to God? And he asks it in a question form, but actually he's making a statement that God is incomparable. And he points out the character and the nature of God. He pardons iniquity. He passes over transgression. He doesn't retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. And we'll have we'll have he'll have compassion on us. He'll subdue our iniquities and casts all our sins in the depths of the sea. This is the incomparable nature of God, a beautiful description of God's forgiveness. You know, can we say with Micah, you know, who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? There is no other. There is no other. You know, the forgiveness of sins. God pardons sins. He wants to pardon sins. He does not hold it against us. And he, uh, he casts our sin in the depths of the sea and remembers it no more. The Jews still do that. They go out to the water and they throw bread in the water to symbolize this. But the, uh, I don't know that it's wrong to do that. We don't have to do that if that helps them. But God is, another place in Psalms, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Who is a pardoning God like thee? As the song says, who is a pardoning God like thee? Well, this was the book of Micah. It's hard to get through seven chapters in one setting, but that is the theme there. Uh, we want to go, uh, what does the Lord require of thee? What does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So we could say, <clears throat> Israel didn't do that. Then let's ask the question, are we? Are we doing that? If we would be in the courtroom and God asks that question, am I walking, am I uh, doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God. Are we, am I, am I doing that? That's what God wants. The uh, simplicity of the, uh, of the gospel. It's, not, it's very easy to understand. Doing what's right. Loving mercy. And having a, being, having a humble attitude. Walking with him. And that's what God is looking for, shall we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and love to us. Thank you for scripture that we can find in Micah and help us to apply it to our lives. We know it was given for the children of Israel in their day for their problems. But today, you know, man hasn't changed a lot. And we just realize how relevant it is for today. So help us to apply it to our lives that we can do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you till you come again for us. Thank you for your precious promises. Who is a God like you? Help us to awe and respect of who you are, Father. Fill us with your love, we pray in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Let's stand together. Eddie, can you have a song? And consider as a